0: Good morning. Welcome to Culpeper Baptist Church this morning. Um, It's great to see you all here. Um, Welcome to everybody who's joining us on the live stream as well. We're glad that you're joining with us um, for this morning service. Um, Would you all stand with us? We're going to start worship out by singing This is Amazing Grace.
1: Seated. Welcome. We are glad you're here. Glad for those who are joining us on the live stream on a little bit of a slippery morning. Um, we're excited that we're together again uh, for worship. Back in December, we made an exciting announcement, and we're going to share more with you about that today. Uh, We are partnering with Fellowship of Christian Athletes to bring a youth minister and a FCA rep to Culpepper, and we hope to do that later this year. And I've been working with Scott Small on that, and I realize not everybody might know what Fellowship of Christian Athletes is. Uh, I remember my first FCA event when I was a child. I heard Mark Mosley, the place kicker for the Washington football team, speak at a church. Uh, That was my first introduction to FCA, but I've asked Scott to just come today. Uh, he's the Metro Director for Battlefield FCA, a pretty large region that we're a part of, and just share a little bit about FCA and uh, and what we're going to do together. So, Scott, come on up.
2: everybody. If everybody would stand up for me, please. I grew up at Piscopean and we were sitting and standing, sitting and standing all the time. So... If you know about FCA, have heard about FCA, been involved in FCA in any way, please stay standing. If you haven't, sit down. Awesome. All right, so I wanted you to see a picture of this. Look around. FCA has impact in families. You can sit down, thank you. It has a lot more impact in families than a lot of people realize. A couple of weeks ago, actually before Christmas, I was, in, I was in Safeway in Warrington. And I was checking out and I heard this, I heard my, Coach Small, Coach Small, Coach Small. And this former Eastern View football player comes running up through the line, passing everybody in the line, coming up, just wanting to talk to me. And, uh, and he starts talking to me. Coach, I've been reading the Bible. I've been learning about Jesus. I've been trying to share it with everybody I know. And he was just so excited. He was lit up like a Christmas tree. And he was just pumped. And he just going on and on. And it wasn't hmm, maybe three or four weeks before that or earlier in the season that I had visited this young man in jail. And this relationship came about because a very simple thing that I did. I was the character coach for Eastern View football. Coach Brian goes to this church, I believe. And it's a ministry of presence, and I was just there, forming relationships with young men and the coaches. I was able to be there and share the love of Christ with people in a way that was personal to them and to support them and love them and pray for them. Last week, on Friday... I had a, every Friday from 2 to 4, I have what we call prospective staff. I have five staff that are coming on board right now in other areas. And they have to raise their own money and funds. And so we meet every week for support, prayer. We study the Bible, the word. And, and I had them each practice, how did God call you into this ministry? What was, what was that journey like? Because that's important to share. And Sam, Samantha, who's going to be the director for our leagues and clubs throughout Battlefield FCA, shared, well, this was part of her story. She said, my daughter plays lacrosse, and she was on a travel team, and we were at a, at a tournament, and we were walking around during our game time, and we saw this big tent that said FCA on it, and they went into the tent, And she said, is this the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes? And she was excited, and they were, yeah, 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 because she was involved with FCA when she was a younger, young gal. And she came, and she said, what I noticed was the environment in that tent and that team and the coaches, between the coaches and the players and the players and the parents, was palpable, and it was different. There was the love of Christ there. People were encouraging each other. Coaches and parents were were encouraging each other we did they didn't hear the parents I had a daughter that played lacrosse um and we went to a lot of these and that's not usually how those tent meetings go the parents are usually upset because their kid didn't get to play as much as they did and they're yelling at the coach and this and that and it's not usually the greatest environment but with FCA sports it's different we call it sports with the twist the twist being Jesus that's what FCA is FCA is a sports ministry, and we bring the gospel to the unsaved, and we disciple them to do the same thing. That's what we do. And I thought it best demonstrated through those stories. We reach people that are hurting, and our youth are hurting. They are lost, and we need to get out there and share the hope of Christ with them. But not just share the hope of Christ with them, but come alongside them and disciple them, live with them, help them develop that relationship with Christ. Our relationship with Christ is not a do-it-by-yourself relationship. It's a team sport. And that's what FCA is about. And so when Pastor Dan and I were talking about this partnership, I love your pastor. I do. He uh, he's different from other pastors. <laughs> In a good way, right? Amen. Uh he has an entrepreneur spirit within him and I before I got slapped across the head by God to come into this ministry, I was a business owner for for forever. Um and so talking to him was refreshing cuz he's he's, we're, he's looking for different ways to do things and not just stick with the tra- tradition and do it just because we that's the way we've always done it. and so talking to him about forming this partnership with you guys to help us bring on a staff member that will both serve the church and FCA and and bring those two things together I think is a powerful, powerful partnership that can have a huge impact in this community and in the lives of the athletes and the coaches and the families and can be a part of what helps spark a revival. We need a revival, don't we? We, need, we really do need a revival. And so that's what, that's what FCA is. Our partnership, I'm, I'm stoked about it. I really am. I am excited about what i just, I can't wait to see what God does and how he shows up in this partnership and, and how he works it out. It's always grander and bigger than what my little mind can think. So I appreciate you, Pastor Dan. I appreciate you guys. I look forward to getting to know, to know all of you. Uh, this is, a, we're going to need a volunteer army when we bring this person on staff. So be praying about how you might want to be involved Get outside and be involved and help support this person that we're going to be bringing on staff. They'll need you. Prayer in all different kinds of ways. Volunteer, being out on the field, being a character coach at one of the teams in the local area. Huge impact. So be praying about that. So let us pray. Dear Father, you're just an awesome God. And we love you. And we just come before you kneeling and knowing that we don't deserve your love but through your grace you call us to you through your son Jesus Christ and we're so thankful for that and I just ask that you continue to to bless and favor Pastor Dan and this congregation as they reach out to the community in so many different ways having impact throughout this community and bringing the love of Christ and the light of Christ and the hope of Christ wherever they are. So I just ask that you come alongside of us and be with us as we search for this, uh, this unique position that will come and not only be a youth pastor at the Culpeper Baptist Church, but be a part of FCA and combine the two roles. That you guide us and direct us and that we discern as you would have us discern. And we ask all this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Okay, so this next song that we're going to do is called Look to the Lamb. Um, It's a new one that um, we'll probably bring into regular um, worship. Um, So as we play it, um, I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) Um, It's pretty simple, or the melody is. So um, as we play, if you're catching on, please join in and sing.
1: starting a new series today, uh, looking through the Gospel of Luke and talking about Jesus being for everyone. And uh, we're going to do this series through Easter Sunday, and I hope it'll uh, generate some conversations, generate some thinking about how God is available uh, for all of us and how that gives us our mandate uh, to relate to our community and the world. So if you have your Bibles with you today uh, or on your devices, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 4, and uh, the scripture will also be on the screen. Luke chapter 4, I'm going to begin with verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to, if you worship me. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus for everyone seems so simple. If you grew up in church kind of like I did, you probably heard pretty early on, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus for everyone. And so we're going to look at all the everyones that Jesus loved as he walked through his earthly ministry in the Gospel of Luke. And and I wanted to start with this story today because it is so easy to believe that Jesus is for everyone, to, to say that intellectually or with our mouths. But then we get sidetracked and we lose our focus on that. And that's the first temptation Jesus faced. If you remember the sequence, Jesus has just been baptized and heaven opens and a voice comes from the heavens and says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus immediately goes into the wilderness and the devil meets him there. For 40 days, he tries to get Jesus to give up his identity, give up his mission And the first temptation Jesus faced and all of us faced is to lose our focus. For Jesus, it was to lose the focus on the kingdom of God, to get distracted by other things so that we're not focused on the news that Jesus is for everyone. And so beware on this first Sunday of a year. Beware of an unfocused life. Beware of the fuzzies that get a hold of us. Golfing enthusiasts will know the name Harvey Pinnock in his famous book titled The Little Red Book, Practical Guide for How to Play Golf. And the mantra of his book is take dead aim. He said, don't ever get out on the golf course and just try to hit a ball in a general direction. Take dead aim. And I would say to us, if we're going to live lives that make a difference in this world, we're going to have to learn to say, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm about. I'm going to take dead aim on the mission God's called me to. The first thing that the devil did was to attack Jesus's focus, to attack his purpose. He tried to get him confused about why he was in the world, and and that still happens to us. It still happens to far too many of us. It's the most common question I'm probably asked, what am I here for? What does God want me to do? We need to focus on the fact that we are children of God. And if we can focus on that, then we'll also be able to focus on the fact that other people are God's children and that they need to understand that identity and respond in faith to God's love through Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. When when we lose our identity as children of God, and and identity is is one of the key battlefields really in our world today, what is our identity going to be based on? And when we lose our identity as children of God, we then lose our focus on God's activities in this world. I don't know what God wants me to do. And that's not so much a problem with what you need to do. It's a problem with identity, with who you are in God's eyes. Jesus came out of the water of baptism and heard a voice say, You are my son." whom I love, whom I'm well pleased with. And the first thing that Satan begins to say is, if, if you are the Son of God, beware of the ifs that come into our lives and beware of if people who come into our lives. Get away from people who have ifs all around you. And Jesus, with that if statement from Satan, Jesus being fully human— and fully divine, but make sure you you understand he's fully human in this moment. He has to make a fully human choice in that moment. And he remembers who he was. He remembered he didn't have to subject himself to the if statements of Satan. He remembered, you're my son whom I love, and you I'm well pleased. Well, what about us? Scripture tells us that when we receive Christ as Lord, the Spirit of God comes upon us. And if we could hear Him, and we should be able to hear Him, we should hear Him say, You you are my child. I love you. And you, I'm well pleased. Never let the enemy distract you with an if statement. Because when we lose our focus on that, we'll lose our focus on the activity that God's calling us to do. Satan came to Jesus in verse 3, if you are the Son of God. That if statement. And the second time he said, if you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Sounds like a a legitimate thing to do. Jesus came to, to help people to love people, to spread God's love around the earth. And and all around Jesus in that day were hungry people. And so the devil's saying, man, if you just turn stones into bread, you'll feed a lot of people. They need to be fed, and they'll follow you. And Jesus said, I'm not going to be the bread king. I'm not going to manipulate people. Well, why did he do that? Well, well, we know as we read his story, he, he did actually feed people on occasion. And we know on one specific occasion, he refused to feed people because they wanted to make him a bread king. He cared about people. He tells us that part of our judgment as believers when he comes again is how well did we care for people? But we need to recognize there's a more tragic hunger in all of our souls and Jesus says to Satan, I'm giving myself to that hunger. I have come to be Savior. I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I'm not going to be your bread king. So Satan says, well, if, if you're not going to be pastry chef for the world, then, then why don't you become president? Become king. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. Satan is saying, I I can put you in charge of all of this. I can make you the single most politically powerful person on the face of the earth. I can give you all the benefits that come with that. It's all yours if you want it. That's a big temptation. It's a big temptation. I'm so saddened in my lifetime how much we believers have given in to that temptation. I've been reacquainting myself as I get ready to speak at Montpelier this week. I've been going back over the story of our church and our Baptist ancestors, the folks who founded this church been reading their story again. They they use political means to secure religious liberty, not only for our country, but for the whole world. They certainly use political means to accomplish that. But what I've always been struck with is that after they secured religious liberty for everyone, not just Christians, after they had that kind of influence, They went back to preaching the gospel, proclaiming hope, and starting churches. They didn't let the political influence that they had exerted become the focus of who they were. In 1788, the same year, Culpeper Baptist and Virginia Baptist were using their political influence to secure religious liberty. In the same year, Mount Pony, our church, baptized 200 people. I'm grateful for Roger L. Clatterbuck once again pulling out a great stat from our past. But I'm going to guess we haven't baptized 200 people in one year since then. The hope of this world is not politics or power. It's Jesus. And Jesus knew that. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6 back to Satan, and he says to you and to me, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he's saying to us, if the priority of your world is power, our influence, our wealth, our politics, if that's the priority of your life, then you're not worshiping me. And Jesus says, I, I've not come to be a king or a politician. I've come to be a savior to lead people to what they need the most the forgiveness of their sins. So Satan says, I, I can't interest you in being a pastry chef or a president. Well, well, let's at least make an entrance, let's at least do something spectacular, let's go viral. And in verse 9, Satan took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and reminded Jesus that the rabbis say that when the Messiah comes, he'll go to the highest point of the temple. And and so we'll do that. And when you get up there, we'll just kind of jump off and we'll remember the words of Psalms 91, the angels will take care of you and you won't strike your foot on a stone. And Satan is saying to him, if you can make an entrance like that, everybody, everybody's going to follow you. And it would be a lot better than that puny little entrance you made in Bethlehem way back. But Jesus wouldn't do it. He would say later that the kingdom of God grows as subtly as salt and light, that those who are the greatest in the kingdom of God are servants of all, that the weakest will be the strongest in the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying, I'm not going to be pastry chef. I'm not going to be president or king. I'm not going to be religious spectacle. So what did Jesus do? Well, he went and he taught and he preached the gospel. That God's love was for everyone. And that he sent his son because that good news is for everyone. Teaching, preaching, serving, blessing, healing. That's what he focused on. So what are we to do? What what did Jesus mean when he said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you? Well, we're to tell the same story Jesus told. To tell it lovingly, to tell it convincingly, to care about a world that is lost. And I think we've convinced ourselves That people don't want to hear the story of Jesus, don't want to respond to the gospel. And because of that, we've given ourselves a lot of excuses to not build relationships with everyone and to separate from the world. It's a natural reaction. And it's one that the religious leaders of Jesus' day had. It's one that really the religious leaders in Culpeper County in the 1760s and the 1770s had but I want to challenge us as much as I can today with what I absolutely believe. People want to experience Jesus. People want to experience Jesus. And that many of them that want to experience Jesus need to know and need to understand that Jesus is for everyone, even them. And so, what would some everyone conversations look like for our church? What if our groups, our ministry areas, weren't just focused on us? I get so weary of hearing churches and groups talk about, you know, what— who we're going to reach and, and who, who, who we like to have around us. And, and the way we talk about that, we don't say it out loud, but we're basically saying, hey, if you're not in this, you're not for us. And I always say, where does that leave room for God to do something new, for God to bring some everyone's to us? What would some everyone conversations look like for our church? What what if all of our groups and ministry areas and leadership responsibilities and our daily work and our recreation and our leisure time stayed focused on the idea that Jesus is for everyone? How would that change us? Change our focus. Last week, I talked about the needs of senior senior adults in our community to to know Jesus and that since we're a church with a lot of senior adults— Seems like we would have a natural responsibility and a burden to reach senior adults. But what doesn't everyone focus look like on senior adults? Sarah Amos, the director of Generation Central, and I were in a conversation this week with a group who had come in from out of town who, who wanted to know our story of starting Generation Central. And uh, as always, Sarah does a great job of talking about the nuts and the bolts of, of how you run it. And they asked me, how do we get churches to be willing to give up space for adult day programs? And I said, I, I work for a church that has a pretty long history of, of saying yes to meeting the needs of the community. So it was fairly simple for us. But, but then I said, here's the bigger question for me, and, and one that Hans and I have consistently struggled with. How do we get churches to focus on the spiritual needs of senior adults? How do we get people focusing on the tremendous lostness there is among senior adults? large numbers of senior adults who have no hope for eternity that are separated from Jesus Christ. How do we do that? That's such a bigger everyone conversation. Scott shared with us earlier in this service about a shared position that that will focus because Scott and I will make sure it focuses (laughs) on 5,000-plus teenagers in Culpeper County. And that that seems overwhelming in some sense, but the opportunity is so great. I'll never forget when I first moved here, our youngest was, uh, you know, playing Little League over at the, the county fields over around Eastern View. And I'll never forget leaving there one night, and this would have been eight, nine years ago, and just looking back over all those fields and thinking There could be 10,000 people back here. I've never seen so many people in one place in Culpeper County. The opportunity is so great. And like Scott said, I'm convinced that God's going to lead us to the right person that will have a great heart for sharing the gospel with teenagers. And like Scott said, we're going to need a lot more of us, including the teenagers in this church, with the same focused because this is what I'm convinced of, and this is why I do what I do. When the church gets focused on sharing Jesus with everyone, the conversations get exciting and they get real challenging because everyone's not like us. But when we get focused on that, it seems like the kingdom of God suddenly gets a lot closer to us. Jesus told Nicodemus, I have come not to condemn the world, but to save it. That's a great focus. We are sent not to this world to grab power, to be influencers, or to dazzle them, but to tell them what they must know about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. And we got to focus on what we've been sent to do. The love of God for everyone is our mission. So, here are my closing questions. Is there fuzziness in your life on identity, our mission? And then, how can you regain your focus? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for calling us to something so much bigger than ourselves, to not letting our identity get dominated by the culture and the world around us to to lead us to an identity that shares the hope of who you are with all those around us. Lord, confront us with a mission to the everyone's. Help us recommit our lives and our church to that mission today. Lord, thank you for your power and your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together the goodness of Jesus. And as we do that, I I hope there will be some clarity in our focus. Uh, clarity in our vision of the gospel for everyone. And if you want to talk more about uh, what God's doing in your life, what what God's doing in, in leading you to mission, we'd love to have those conversations with you. Reach out to me after this service. Let's stand together and sing the goodness of Jesus. Go ahead and be seated. Let me share some announcements with us uh, for today and this week. Flowers today are given in memory of Mary Miller by her uh, Ruth Sunday School class. She was their beloved teacher and they, uh, she meant so much to them and to our church. You remember that she died uh, last year. And so we fondly remember Mary this morning and thank the Ruth class for the flowers. Uh, Some sad news to share with you all today. Rodney Hawkins died uh, this past week. Uh, Rodney attended this service from time to time. His parents, Charles and Becky, were active in this service till their health Uh, declined somewhat. Um, His funeral will be here on Saturday at two o'clock right here in the sanctuary with visitation an hour beforehand. But be praying for Rodney's family as they go through some challenging days and uh, grateful for how many of you are responding uh, to their needs. We have some new members today. Patrick and Regina Moore are right there about halfway back and... uh, We are excited uh, to have them here. And uh, Roger L. Clatterbuck is writing feverishly right now, the first members of the 250th year. That'll be a historical (laughs) footnote. Uh, But we welcome them to our church family and look forward to serving with them. Uh, this Saturday, I am speaking at Montpelier as part of their religious liberty celebration. And uh, that's a big deal for this church that they would invite the pastor of this church to speak. Um, and so I'll be speaking there with John Regosta. Uh, John Ragosta is a pretty uh, known historian who has written the really definitive book on the struggle of religious liberty and the dissenters from the colonial time. I'll just be there talking about the Culpeper story. Uh, It is a free event, uh, so if you want to go, you can register through Montpelier uh, and encourage you to come out if you're available uh, this Saturday. Bob Roberts is going to be here the first Sunday of February, February 4th. Uh, This is also a big deal. I am thrilled that he was willing to say yes uh, to come. Um, He is, to me, the person that most epitomizes the founding of our church in modern language deeply committed to evangelism and religious liberty. He does both of them very well. He's done it all over the world. If you Google him, you will find out a lot about his influence in the world at bringing people together. And so, he'll be here. We'll have one service that day in the morning, and I certainly want you to come to that. But I also… I want to get two hours from you that afternoon and stay with us. Uh, he's going to come and do just more of a dialogue conversation in the afternoon. And as I said last week, if you have people in your life, and I think we probably all do, who in some way think, man, religion is dividing this world, bring them that afternoon because he will, he will share a, a better story for that. So, I hope you'll, uh, you'll come. And we're having dinner that afternoon. So, let us know if you're coming uh, so that we can be ready for that. These uh, 250th anniversary brochures are at both entrances. Pick one up, share them with people. This is kind of our year-long celebration of our 250th year. So looking forward to lots of ways we will share together. Right after this service, you can go downstairs for First Sunday Fellowship in our fellowship hall. It's also a great time to check out our heritage room if you've not done so. Uh, It's a great space that we're excited to have online now. So thanks for being here this morning. Let me pray for us as we leave. God, thank you for all the ways we experience your grace and your love for the joy of being your people. Lord, help us as we go into your world to see your gospel active in everybody's life and to help make the connection between our role and helping people know your love. Lord, thank you for that focus of our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.